This is the Cherryleaf Podcast. We've asked the people that we've interviewed on the podcast just to introduce themselves and say who they are and, and what they do. Sure. I'm Deborah Reed. I'm currently the lead tester at Bloom and Wild. They are a technology first company who invented letterbox flowers. I've been at this company for two and a half years now, and I've been testing for probably about 10 years in total. Wow. And we know we've got two mutual connections, I suppose, and that's Mark Lee, the conference speaker, accountant and magician, and Steve Green from Test Partners, who I think you worked at, I remember Mark saying, in, when you started your career within testing. Yes, I worked with Steve at Test Partners just after I graduated. I was there for five years. I learned a lot working there, not just about the main process of testing that I do, but about a lot of other areas of testing that we can um, chat about later. Mark Lee is my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and I was talking to Mark a couple of weeks ago. One of the things he said was you've been involved in talking at conferences and the like about testing I think women in tech as well and I thought that would be a great subject and you'd be a great person to have on the podcast because I think a lot of people know they should do testing but don't know enough about it so I thought it'd be a great thing to discuss. It's not something that kids are well that I was taught about when I went to school I think it is a bit more now but yeah it wasn't when I was younger it wasn't I want when I grow up I want to become a tester like it definitely (laughs) it definitely wasn't like that. I think kids are faced with the challenge of a world where the jobs that they do may not even exist when they're actually at school. Definitely. Uh, so a good place to start would probably be, I suppose, what is testing? Is it, is it usability testing? Is it accessibility testing? Is it all the things? How do you define what testing is? Well, I guess at its core, it's that it meets the requirements that whoever's sort of created the product is after. So uh, in my current role, I work with um, product managers who define what they want the developers to create. Mm-hmm. The developers will write that in code and then it will come to me for testing. And I guess the main thing I'm doing is checking that it does do what the PM, the product managers want it to do, but also looking for other bugs, nuances. Does it do what it shouldn't do? So that's mostly the functionality testing. But then there's also a lot of compatibility testing that I do as well, because everyone's got their own preferred browser on their computers. There's a lot of different mobile phones out there. So that's different screen sizes. And again, people use different browsers on their tablets and mobiles. So those are the two that I mostly do that are, if you like, the most known about in the industry. But there's also a lot of different areas as well as that you could do security testing, um, looking at how secure the data is held. You could look at performance testing. So our website, for example, had a lot of extra users over the summer because people couldn't see each other. So they needed to send more flowers to each other. And so we needed to make sure that our system would stay running and could cope with all of that extra load. And then there's also accessibility testing, which is something that I'm quite passionate about, that I learned when I worked with Steve at Test Partners. It's about inclusivity. So people that have got different disabilities, ensuring that they can still access the information and make purchases and enjoy their experience online. My familiarity with 
testing is that it's used within the software environment. Yes. Is that where most of it's used or is it something that's expanded out into other areas? I think it's definitely in a lot of areas. I think a lot of us physically test things in our daily lives, whether that's mm. testing out new shoes, testing the oven when you get a new one. So there's a lot of there's a lot of areas that it can cover, but I think the one in the industry is software, but then software can include websites and mobile apps, etc. Mm. So there's quite a large um, scope within there as well. And in terms of the justification for having a, somebody do that testing work, how do organisations justify it? What's the sort of commercial imperative to do testing? Yeah, it's a really good question. There are some tests that developers write. So they write unit tests and integration tests, which mm-hmm. they check what we call the happy path. So does it do the basics of what it is intended to do? But part of what I specialise in is called exploratory risk-based testing. And what that involves is exploring around the system, asking questions what if I do this what if a user did that and looking at the risks of the new area of the code the risks to the business of like what could happen if this didn't work and there's a lot of thought process and question asking and work that goes around that and so I think for some companies it comes as a result of an issue so they'll have the website might go down or they might find a really bad issue in production that customers are complaining about And it's really difficult to claw back your reputation once customers have slandered you on social media. I was the first tester at Bloom and Wild. My now manager pushed for testers to come in and to work with the developers to help create a quality product. And that's very much how we work. We we work together. We're on the same team. I'm not, you know, we don't pick apart someone's work and say, that's wrong. That's wrong. It's more about collaboration to create a, a quality product. The process of testing, how is it? Is it um, continuous or is it little projects that take a day or or longer? It can depend upon the project. So Mm -hmm. the way that we currently work is each new feature or bug that we work on is an individual card and that is its own like PR request. And we then test that individual feature or that individual bug to see if it's working, if there's any issues with it. And so that varies every day. So depending upon what that feature or bug is, our testing will change depending upon that. If it affects our website is in multiple languages, we mm-hmm. we sell across multiple countries. So you've got the complexities around language and currency involved in that. But sometimes when we're doing a release of, of the code, which can involve multiple features and multiple bugs, we will need to do what's called a smoke test, which is just checking the basic scenarios are still working. So can I check out? Can I buy a bouquet? Can I um, use a discount code? The main scenarios that if they failed, that we would get customers complaining straight away. That's like a repetitive task that we're looking to automate. Mm-hmm. The techniques and the questions that you ask and the way that you test each new feature is different and interesting and that's what sort of keeps us on our toes. From that you imply that you're working in an agile environment and you're putting up the tasks on the Kanban board as within the sprint as part of a sign-off of a product is that how it's working? Yes we work in agile we've got planning and refinement sessions which gives us as the testers a chance to ask all of our questions up front so it's not just like thrown over the fence at the end when the development is done so we really get to be involved in the process and ask questions which can lead to new things which need to be developed you know have we thought about that scenario what happens if someone does this 
then we've got a card for each individual piece of work. So there's lots of different tools that you can use for that. A popular one is Jira. That's what um, some people are used to, but it doesn't really matter what the tool is as long as you're able to track the work and then we can assign it to different people at different stages. Bloom and Wilder brought you in to do this. Is it something that requires a specialist? Is it something that developers should do? What are the skills that a specialist brings into an organisation that others might not have? It's really interesting. I think each... Um, developers have got a really great attention to detail, which is also something which is really useful for a tester. But there's different skills. Um, I know they call them soft skills because they're not things that you sort of get a degree in and stuff, but they are so critical. So I think attention to detail, following your intuition. So if you see something that doesn't look right, following that path and seeing what's going on and being able to find that bug and recreate that issue. And critical thinking, because what you need to be able to do is think ahead and assess a situation so that you're not asking all your questions right at the very end of the process, because then it's got to go back to the product managers to talk to people. There's got to go back into development. It's got to be code reviewed again and then tested again. So trying to help sort of streamline that process. So I think definitely some of it can be done by non-specialists and people can train to do it. So you don't need a qualification. I did a sandwich course at university, which means that you study for three years, but it's split over four years. So in your third year, you actually work for a year and you get some work experience. I just applied for an IT placement because I was interested in IT mm-hmm. and I got put in a testing team. And I didn't have any qualifications or you know specific skills at that point, but it turns out that a lot of the skills that I have were very useful. So you can start from just having an interest in the topic, but there are certain areas. So I'd say like for security testing and for accessibility testing, some form of training. And that doesn't need to be that you spent years and years getting a degree or a qualification, but someone who has taken the time to specialise in those topics can be very beneficial to get the best out of doing that work and finding the critical issues. And you're now a mentor, I think, at the Software Testing Clinic. What does that involve? So the Software Testing Clinic is a really great initiative that was started by the Ministry of Testing, which is a community that I'm quite heavily involved in and a participant of a lot of their events. They were looking for mentors to help people who are less experienced or have no experience in testing to get involved and to um, get hired in the industry. I initially went along thinking... I'm definitely not qualified or experienced enough to do this. But just knowing like one thing or being able to ask someone one question that can then make them think about something differently. Um, And I really did enjoy going to those sessions. Sadly, what with COVID and lockdown, et cetera, we haven't been able to mentor uh, recently. But you realise how much you know when you're mentoring and teaching other people. And it really helps kick imposter syndrome, which is something that's Mm. I think a lot of us in the industry suffer with, and that's not just women in tech and people in tech. It's obviously something that spans a lot of industries, but it definitely helped me in my process to overcoming it. If somebody wants to learn about testing or become a tester, what are the best pathways in to the role? The Ministry of Testing offers a really wide range of resources. They've recorded a lot of their events in the past Mm-hmm. it's not just about if you go to the physical events you can learn from that you can access a lot of their content online which spans so many different topics so that's definitely very useful I think also there's a lot of chat online about it so whether that's on Twitter or certain forums to do with testing 
a lot of it is about the specific context and you can apply certain things to multiple areas so you can build up your confidence by just sort of looking for issues and exploring on a website yourself mm-hmm. and there's some companies that encourage they do crowdsourcing so you can just apply and then you can find issues on like a sporadic random basis with different websites so that can be a good way to practice but equally doing it in your own time like sometimes I won't even be trying to test I'll just be trying to make an order online for something and I'll find an issue and I'll tweet the company about it because I don't think I'm the only one that experiences issues when I'm just in general browsing and when you find an issue and you report it that is definitely part of testing. In terms of a gender split, is it distinctive anyways? Yeah, I've definitely found in my first job when I was at a university, it was actually mostly a female testing in the company. So I definitely didn't feel there was much of a lack of women then. When I worked with Steve at Test Partners, it was obviously quite a small company and I was the only woman, but I found that quite empowering. Like I think some people would be scared to be the only woman in a company or in an industry, but I really enjoyed that. And then... I went on to work for Arcadia. Mm-hmm. That was an all-female test team as well. So I think I more feel the gender split more in tech in general that we tend to be in a minority. But I think there's a lot of work being done to break down those um, gender stereotypes. And diversity and inclusion is definitely something that a lot of companies, including um, ourselves, are working on because we want women, we want LGBTQ+. plus. We want everyone to feel comfortable and confident to not only apply, but want to work for companies. And I'm quite proud to be part of that and trying to help us improve in that area. Yeah, otherwise uh, you're missing out on people's skills and experience that you could do. I mean, it's an interesting thing in terms of podcasts. Nearly all the podcasts in technical communication are done by men. We try and balance that to an extent by trying to have female voices as well as male voices. Yeah, I think think part of it is the imposter syndrome. A lot of people, not just women, don't feel like they're good enough or think that they are not very good and hiding in a role. No one's found them out yet to not be very good. And so going live, talking about what you know and, and what you do can be quite scary. But I do think that something like this is definitely less scary than speaking at a conference or running a workshop. You don't have all those eyes staring you down. Um, So I would definitely recommend it to anyone. I think also it's people not knowing if they've got something that's worth sharing as well. So giving people the confidence to believe in the topics they want to talk about. When we talk to people on the pod, we make it as welcoming as possible. On the conference side of things, there is that belief in some people that they have to know everything about a topic in case they get asked a question from the audience. When... You can go and talk at an event and say, this is what I've discovered. I found this interesting. You might do. I've got lots of questions that I don't know about it and I want to know more. But isn't it interesting? The interest in some ways is in what's not known as much as what is known. People are never going to shout you down for why don't you know that? Because you've never professed to know everything. If you start off by saying, I know everything about X topic, then maybe people are going to expect that you can answer every question. But it's very rare that someone will get up and say that because the technology field, the testing field, it's ever evolving, it's ever changing. So even if you knew something 10 years ago, it could be completely irrelevant and outdated by now. It shows an open mind as well if you know you don't know. On the testing side of things, and people that are testing, and the tools that people use, are there particular tools that 
are useful to use and how easy or difficult are they to use? Some tools are really easy and they're free to download. I guess I use them more to assist my testing. If you're going to use tools to do your testing for you, then that's more automation, which is very much advocated for, I think, when it comes to repetitive tasks that you're not looking for small nuances, then automation is great. But I think the manual testing gives you a very great insight into the product. There are definitely tools that can help you to do that. There's a Chrome add-on called Bug Magnet. And what that does is that encourages you to think about different inputs when you're testing fields. So it's got lists of names that have got accents because your system should be able to accept and process names that have got accented letters in, which Mm -hmm. I think if your name doesn't have that, then maybe that's not something that you would automatically think about. Same with a hyphen in a name or an apostrophe. And so it's trying to get you to think outside the box of the norm. So I think, you know, when you're testing, you tend to use your own name or, you know, John Smith or something. But there's also things like addresses with long lines. So if you've got like a very long line one and line two, will it fit on your shipping label? Will it look okay on on the website? When you enter an invalid email address, it's got like a list of valid and invalid email address formats. Then you can check whether your system rejects the invalid ones. Does it show a useful error message? Because it could be a mistake if you've forgotten to put the at symbol in your email address. You want to encourage the customer to correct their mistake in order to proceed. And if someone doesn't know how to proceed, then they're going to get a bit stuck and not progress. There's other tools. I think Wave it can be a really useful one for doing performance and accessibility testing. But I guess some tools can be very overwhelming with the information that they can give you. So being able to take the time to process what it's given you, talking it through with the developers and being able to work through these things and making a case to improve these things with the business. Mm -hmm. Because the best thing is if we find the issues before the real customers do. And real customers can be internal stakeholders. If you've got like an admin system that they're using to process internal affairs, that's just as important to be able to use and for it to be functional than it is for the customers to be able to buy the product it's quite a wide range (laughs) i think i saw on your linkedin profile some others you mentioned like i don't know if any of these are relevant to other people or not but i think you mentioned xenu and hypersnap and licecap and test flight and hockey app and zoom and fiddle yeah (laughs) xenu is a really cool one that we um used at test partners every day or every week we'd be testing a different product one of the first things we would do was run the website through xenu which is a link checker and it would find any dead links so any pages that trigger a 404 or a 400 or any kind of error and it also gives you an idea on how big the website is whether any areas are password restricted Hmm. Um, so that's really useful. There's other ones like that. I think Screaming Frog, I don't know why it's got that name, but that's another one similar to that. Yes. And then there's things like Hypersnap, which you can use to take screenshots and then annotate them. I think it's very useful, oh, I think, right. especially in these remote times. So ordinarily, if I'm sitting in the office with the developers and I found an issue, I would find time when they were available to go over and show them my laptop and talk through the issue with them. Obviously, things are a little bit difficult. We're all working remotely at the moment. And so screenshots are even more important to be able to show the issue. But also, it's really good for like referencing back a piece of work. You know, what did it look like then? Mm -hmm. So we try and attach them to all the work that we do so we can keep track of things. And then I think LiceCap is a way to record an on-screen video so you can record behavior because some bugs are not as simple as look at this screenshot sometimes it's a behavior it's a flicker it sometimes words don't do it justice so actually showing the problem 
is really mm. useful. Those are things I've used on Windows a lot because Windows machines, they have snipping tool, which is screen capture software, which I didn't find was great. But I think on my Mac, which I use uh, most of the time, I use QuickTime Player to do on-screen videos and actually just using the keyboard shortcut to do a screenshot of Command Shift 3 or 4, I find really useful by default. But it's about finding like what works best for you. Oh, and you mentioned Hockey App. When you're testing an app, you need a way to sort of get it into a testing mode because obviously you need to be able to process payments and set up a fake payment server and even have like a fake, well, I say fake, like a staging database of, yeah. of products to pull through. And so apps like a hockey app help you to sort of work with staging apps. So that was another question I had was if somebody finds a bug and they want to feed that back in terms of the best way to do that. Is it taking screenshots or running a, a video? That's Is that the best way to rule that type of thing? Yeah, I think having a description and steps to reproduce are invaluable because sometimes it makes you think, oh, is that specific? If I'm logged in, is that only on that browser? So writing a list of numbered steps to reproduce. And then we also try and use what the expected result is and what the actual result is because what's expected can actually vary. If you say, oh, I expect it to do this, and then the stakeholder says, well, that's not what I expect it to do, it can help clarify whether it is an issue or whether it just needs a bit of clarification. And then, but also along with that text, making it visual, so you have got a screenshot or a video, because everyone's brains and minds work differently. So some people will want that detailed list, and that does really help to follow along with that. But equally, a screenshot can really just make it really obvious the second you look at it, there's the issue, that's the problem. Hmm. In terms of the job, what are the best and worst aspects of the job? I think really adding value to the team and feeling that value. So having people thank you for the work that you've done and finding an issue that we get fixed before the customers see it. Mm -hmm. And knowing that I found that issue and I guess that's one way that we bring value, but also the questions that we ask. And I'm very lucky with the team I currently work with that there is very much a team collaboration aspect to it. So in some companies, it can feel like the developers are working against the testers because the testers are trying to find the flaws in the developer's work. But it's not about that at all. What I'm wondering is whether, because it's an end-of-the-line activity, whether it ends up with no time to do the work or you're having to work stupid. Well, let, let me ask the question. What's, in terms of the negative sides or the, the not-so-great sides about the profession in, in general, not necessarily how it is where you're working now, but yeah, what are not-so-great things in some organisations? Let's put it that way. I think it's the perception of testers mm-hmm. that we are breaking the system that we're trying to find problems and some people even feel that we're trying to push back on deadlines and delay the work getting into production. I think knowing which battles are worth fighting is very important. So if I find a bug in Internet Explorer 11 mm-hmm. that is just a small cosmetic issue, knowing that Microsoft are dropping support for that in, I think it's August next year. Yeah. You know, you can appreciate that it's not the top priority, whereas the browser that our customers use the most is Safari. So if you can't check out in Safari, that's something that you've got to raise your voice about. And when we do raise our voice and we are heard and they take it into account, that's knowing that you've added that value. But I think if you're just seen as a resource, 
which I think a lot of people can relate to that you're just a number or you're just there to do like this specific piece of work it can be quite demoralizing and Mm. I think feeling valued and appreciated is really key. It is a difficult one that need for everybody within the organization to appreciate all the other bits in the jigsaw that are there that form the end result of a good, successful, resilient, robust, usable product. I like that, thinking of it as a puzzle. If everyone's working together, if you've got a piece that's upside down and a piece from the wrong puzzle, then it's not going to be so smooth. And in terms of learning more, if people want to learn more about testing and do more, you mentioned the Ministry of Testing. and Is that the best way or are there other ways to learn more about testing? There is a um, a Slack group for the Ministry of Testing, which mm-hmm. I guess if you would rather not take a course or watch a talk, you could try talking to the people in that group. I think also Udemy.com do some mm-hmm. really great courses. I think it depends on what your preferred learning style is. If, if you prefer to sit and do an online course, if you'd like to watch some talks or talk to people, if anyone wants to get in contact with me on Twitter, I can give my details. If people know how they best learn, then that's really beneficial to knowing then what sort of route to go down. Tell us your Twitter handle. It's um, Deborah underscore Reed 19. Right. Why the 19? Uh, Because that was the year that I became Deborah Reed. I got married last year. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. Someone joked with me that they thought it was my age, but I am definitely, (laughs) definitely older than 19. (laughs) He started at seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's all my questions. Are there any other questions I should ask you? I don't think so. I think that's covered it. No, that's lovely. Thank you, Deborah. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.